what we are hearing from Guinea. And I wanted to give you just a, a short um, update. And then I wanted us to pray as a church. But uh, things are uh, calm uh, in Guinea. And I don't want this to sound humorous, but when all the guns are on one side, then things are calm. And that's really the way it is. So all the military has gone with the uh, special forces that took over the government last Sunday. And so uh, it, we're pretty much at a, in a wait and see uh, posture just to see what's going to happen. We know there's going to be opposition at some point and there are other things coming, but uh, the... The military guys are setting up a new government and we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out and um, all of our our missionaries are are safe the streets are quiet um, all of our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in our region where we go uh, they're all safe and they tell me everyone's talking about it but life has gotten back uh, to, to normal and so uh, I wanted us to pray uh, this morning uh, for that. If you join me and then we'll, we'll jump into God's Word. Father, today we, uh, uh, we pray for uh, the country of Guinea. And um, Father, we know that you are sovereign God. And um, we, we, pray for, we pray for peace. Uh, we pray for a government that uh, will care for its citizens the well-being of all of their citizens and so I pray that you would direct those that are in power presently uh, Father to uh, create that and uh, Father we pray for our uh, missionaries uh, we pray for our our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in that country and we pray for your protection we pray even in this Father that um, the gospel might go out that you would teach us uh, the brevity of life and the urgency of uh, speaking of Jesus and so we pray that you teach us we pray father for an open door uh, that the days would come that we would be able to return and continue our work in that place and so father we trust that to you and uh, we just pray that you'd be at work. Father, I also pray for uh, others in the world, particularly the church in Afghanistan uh, and other places, Father, in the world that we don't even think about. Um, we pray for courage. Um, we pray for perseverance, endurance, faithfulness uh, to you in the midst of persecution. And uh, Father, we pray that you would, uh, you would be at work and you would draw people to you. Father, we take comfort uh, in your prophetic word that has said that before the throne of God, that there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation and peoples of the world. And we just pray that you would help us to be faithful to be a part of that and we pray for others that are also engaged in that um, that father the gospel might go out so that all could hear and all would have the opportunity father uh, to trust in Jesus 
And so, Father, we, just, we pray as we come to your word today that you would speak to our hearts about your calling and your purpose in our own life. And, Father, we trust that to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, for the people in Zechariah's day, God had called them to a very specific purpose. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but does God have the authority to tell us what to do? Uh, does God have the right uh, for not only groups of people, but for individual people to say, I have called you to do this? Uh, I think the answer would be yes. Um, and for the people in Zechariah's day, there was something very specific that God had said. God had engineered circumstances so that the exiles in Babylon came back to the promised land. There was one thing that God said, I've called you to do, and that was to rebuild the temple. Quite honestly, there were some other things they could have done, and human wisdom might have dictated they should have done something different. It's, it's 80 years later that they rebuild the walls. But there may have been some people there in the midst of that that said, well, I don't know why we're rebuilding this temple when the walls are destroyed. We ought to rebuild the walls first. Some people may have said, well, we ought, we ought to build our own homes. We ought to develop farms, you know, work on the economy or whatever, the government structure, whatever you think we should have done. But it strikes me that God said, no, this is what I have called you to do. I have asked you to rebuild the temple. And you know, as we've talked about in previous weeks, um, that they had started that when God brought them back. But then life happened, and they set it aside, and for 14 years, they didn't do the one thing that God told them to do until God calls forth Zechariah and the prophet Haggai and said, it, it's time that you get back and you do that thing that God has called you to do. And God said he would show his glory in the midst of their obedience to do that thing that they had called, he had called them to do. Uh, well, that's about 2,500 years ago in the past. <laughs> but the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that gives purpose, purposes, to groups of people and individual people is still the same today. And I need you to think this morning, what is it that God has called you to do? What, what on earth are you here for? And for some of you, it may be a season of life that you're in right now. But think about, why am I here? As a child of God, what is the purpose that God has for me? And I, I don't really mean in a general sense. I mean in a specific sense. What has God called you to do? Uh, I think it may relate to your family. For most of it, it's, it's going to relate to family. Um, and I think when it comes to family, there are seasons of life. And there are purposes that God has called us to do with our, with our children, if you have children. Uh, very specific purposes. I, or even, maybe before that, even related to our spouse. There's a purpose that God has for that relationship if you're married. 
Um, sometimes it may be parents. You may be in a season of your life, uh, not just raising your kids, but you may be taking care of your parents. And there's a purpose that God has for you in this season of life. I, I want you to think about that. What is it that God wants to do in my life right now? It may relate to your vocation or you may be in school. It may relate to school, uh, your vocation. What is it that God has called you to do? And, and I believe that every Christian has a calling uh, that has to relate to your job. You can't say, oh, well, my job is this what I do over here, but my Christian faith is what I do over here. No, God is up in the midst of all of that. And the question is, what is God doing professionally or occupationally in your life? How does he factor in there? What is God's purpose for you and the church? Most of you that are sitting in here are part of this church. Not everyone, I don't guess, but you may be visiting today. Could be in your, your home church. What is God's purpose for you? Where are you involved in ministry? What is it that God has called you to do? And so I, I want you to think about that because as God speaks to the people in Zechariah's day, he speaks to that, specifically today. Now, we're in Zechariah chapter 4 today. This is the fifth of eight visions. Why does God give Zechariah visions? Uh, preacher doesn't have an answer for that one. I don't know. Uh, this is the way God wanted to reveal to Zechariah the message for the people in his day. It was going to be a visual message. And so there's eight messages, and this is the fifth. Uh, and this is, I, I want to go ahead and just give you the visual of what vision number five is. Uh, in, and we're going to read it here in just a minute. In Zechariah 4, in the fifth vision, there are two olive trees. And symbolically, these two olive trees are feeding olive oil to a golden lampstand. This is what Zechariah is going to see. There's a golden lampstand, and um, olive oil was the fuel that the lamps in the lampstand fed from. And so these two olive trees are feeding this large bowl uh, that contains the olive oil, and then there are pipes that go to seven lamps. I really thought, Byron, I should have had a picture of this. I probably should have just like, but it's like, man, my commentaries were all over the place this week of what this thing looked like. Uh, two olive trees, a golden lampstand, a large bowl, the, the, the olive trees are feeding oil into the bowl, and there are pipes that go out, and there are seven lamps that are burning. And that's what Zechariah sees. The one thing that connects all of that is the olive oil, which is the most significant part of the vision. It is the olive oil that connects the trees to the bowl, to the lamps, all of that. Now, olive oil 
in ancient times and I guess even today uh, was used for cooking uh, and we still do that today uh, in that part of the world and in ancient times maybe even till today it was used for ointments so there might be uh, some kind of medicine they were making some kind of ointment uh, out of the olive oil it was used as in this case in Zechariah 4 for 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 burning like a lamp so it's it was used for lighting purposes it was also used in the Old Testament for the anointing of the priest and the king so you get this I mean the functions of olive oil in the ancient world you see how valuable it was because it was used for so many different things now before we read I want you to know uh, the clear interpretation of the vision is that the two olive trees are symbols of Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor the political leader the religious leader the political leader no question in uh, understanding this apocalyptic literature that the two olive trees symbolize Zerubbabel and Joshua the political and the religious leader uh, for their day. The lampstand was something they understood because there was a lampstand in the temple that symbolized the presence of God. And so they burned the lamp 24-7 in the temple. And so that's what he sees here. It's golden because that's the, what they had in the ancient temple. Everything was made of gold. The number seven in apocalyptic literature, symbolic literature, is always about completion, fullness. And so when it speaks about seven lamps, it's talking about not just God's presence, but the fullness of God's presence in this place. The oil in the scripture is a symbol of God's spirit. And that's going to get down to the heart of the message that we're going to focus on here in just a minute. The Spirit of God was His presence, and as we will see today, His power. And so in Zechariah 4, let's read the Scripture. And I've already kind of laid it out. You know what the symbols are going to mean, and we're going to get to the message here after we read. It says... Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking. There is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. 
his hands shall also finish it. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones which stand before the Lord of the whole earth. So verses 1 through 3, just briefly, are the vision. Two olive trees, golden lampstand, a bowl where the olive oil is going into, seven lamps that are burning. He goes on in verses 11 through 14 and ask him further. It's kind of funny in this particular vision, the angel keeps saying, don't you know what these are? Don't you know what these are? Don't you know what these are? And he kept saying, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, but they just kind of, they go back and forth with this. It's like, it's like, you ought to know this. But when he comes to verses 11 through 14, he wants to know about those two olive trees and they are the two anointed ones. Now, there's several interesting things about that. Uh, Obviously, anointing has to do with the oil. Uh, the Hebrews would have known there were two times that you anointed people with oil. It was you anointed the priest and you anointed the king. And he said, these are the two anointed ones. The other interesting thing about the word anointed, it is the word we get for Messiah. Messiah in the Hebrew literally means the anointed one. But you're, you're sitting here in the Old Testament and you're going, wait a second, there's two anointed ones. And I'm not going to spend any time on the future this morning. We've spent some time projecting this forward. I want you to know that the ultimate fulfillment is that there will not be two anointed ones. There will be one who is priest and king. Jesus will ultimately come to fulfill the two anointed ones. He will be the anointed one. And he will not only be the priest who intercedes for us before the throne of God, but he will be the sovereign one. He will be king. The priest and the king will become one. And the ultimate fulfillment is about Jesus. But I want to focus on what the message is. That's the vision. The question is, what was God saying? What was the message? And come to verse 6. And the message is in verse 6. And he, that's the way he puts it. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord host uh, vision five is about Zerubbabel the governor the person who was the king it's it's interesting uh, well vision four that Byron co covered last week in chapter three was about Joshua the priest 
It's interesting to me that Joshua's grandfather was the priest when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. Two generations, the grandson, he's now the high priest 70 years later. The same is true for Zerubbabel, who becomes the political leader. His grandfather was the king that the Babylonians took out of the way. Two generations, 70 years later, the grandson is now. He is in the lineage of David. It's in his lineage where the king is supposed to come from, even though he's called a governor because he's put there by the Persian government. But the priest comes from the line of Aaron, and Joshua was in that line. Joshua, Zerubbabel. But vision five is about Zerubbabel. We've already covered Joshua. The word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, you've been called to lead the people to rebuild the temple. And there's one very simple message you need to understand. It's not by your human strength or ability that you will accomplish that task. The word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power. Zerubbabel, God wants you to know that you do not possess the human strength or ability to do what God has called you to do. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Even though, Zerubbabel, you don't have the ability or the strength to do this, through God's Spirit, He will do it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on in verse 7 when he talks about the mountains, or, O great mountain, who are you, O great mountain? Um, a mountain in the Scripture so many times is an insurmountable obstacle. Zerubbabel, you're going you're gonna to face, and you face a number of insurmountable obstacles. You, you face a mountain, Zerubbabel, that in human strength and ability, you are not able to move. A mountain is something you cannot move. You do not possess the human ability. But we know in the scriptures that God has the power to move mountains. And so it really gets down to the point in verse 9 where he says that when Zerubbabel's hand does this, and he finishes it, and he talks about the capstone, that final stone that was put in place that would have finished all of this. He says, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You will know when this is done that God did it and not Zerubbabel because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, verse 10 is where I get... Uh, the phrase in the title of the series of sermons, The Glory in Small Things, when it says, For who has despised the day of small 
things. When the world looks at what you're doing through human eyes, they will despise it. They will say, it doesn't matter, it's insignificant. Uh, it's kind of interesting that this is a statement that is made in Zechariah. It's also made in Haggai. In Haggai 3, I'm sorry, Haggai 2, 3, it says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Haggai addresses this issue that the people who were watching that had been there and seen the first temple in all of its glory, they saw everybody building the temple and they said, this is a joke. This pales in comparison to what was before. Uh, and that's the same word. It's the same idea in Zechariah 4.10. He who has despised the day of small things. You looked at this and you said, it doesn't matter. This is rinky-dink. It's small. But in verse 10, well, understand, when the world looks at it, the world despises it. But when the eyes of God look on that which he's called you to do, it is glorious. And so it says in verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see. The seven are the seven lamps which represent the fullness of God's presence or eyes in that place. Because when they burned that lampstand in the holy place in the temple, it symbolized the presence of God. God was watching. And it says when the world looks at it, they despise it as a day of small things. But when these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, they are the seven eyes of the Lord who scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. When God looks at what he has called you to do, you doing what he has called you to do, it's a glorious thing. It is the glory in small things. So the message for us today is this. What God calls you to do must be done in God's power. That was the message to Zerubbabel. If God has called you to do something, understand that it must be done in God's power. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Whatever God calls you to do must be done in God's power. God does not call us to do things and say, oh, I have an assignment for you, now you go and do that. God will always accompany with the calling the provision of power for you to do what he's called you to do. Do you understand? If you do God's assignment for you in your strength, in your ability, it's not what God intends. Whatever God calls you to do, 
He will always along with it provide the power. And it's not just that it's available. The task must be done in the power of God. Otherwise, it is simply your work. And when God called Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, he said along with that, I will give you the power. Not only that you can use, you must use. Because God's task always must be done in his power. Uh, I understood this when I was 17 years of age. And uh, when I was called to ministry and it came to a pivotal uh, early morning, maybe 4 a.m., an encounter with me and God. I'll just let you know how it came out. God won, okay? But it was an encounter and I argued and I said, God, I don't want to do that. And he said, I know you don't want to do that. The second thing I said to God, and this is, I, this is as audible, as close to an audible voice as I ever heard. I can almost transcribe what God said to me. I don't want to do this. He said, I know you don't want to do this. I said, God, I can't do this. And he agreed with me on that point. He said, I know you can't do it. I will do it through you. And so 42 years ago, I made an arrangement with God. And I said, I don't want to do this, but I will do it. But God, the only way I can do it is if you do it through me. And God said, that's the only way I'm going to do it anyhow. And so that's my arrangement 42 years later. I can't do this. God, you have to do it through me. And that, that's, as, that's as personal an illustration as I can give you. Uh, and I know people like, I know preachers are put in different categories. I'm just a person, and God had a purpose for my life. Theologically, the point is, if you're a child of God, God has a purpose for your life, too. And it may relate to your family. Oh, it does relate to your family. If you work, it, it relates to your vocation. you're a part of a church then it relates to your church all through the scripture God not only calls but he empowers to do what he's called his people to do and it always relates to his spirit not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I, I failed to mention this, that uh, my life verse for ministry is Zechariah 4.6. In fact, the whole reason we're in this this fall is so I can preach this very sermon right here. Right? Because when else are you going to get to preach from Zechariah 4.6? I'm just joking. Uh, this is... Strangely enough, this is my life verse for ministry. The word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And something I've clung to all of these years. I can't, but God can. And I can't do it without him. I shouldn't do it without him. And the same is true for you. But all through the scripture, you see this. That God's spirit uh, empowers those that he's called. You see it in Moses. You see it in the judges. The Spirit of God comes upon them. We see it in some really strange stories in Samson, in Judges. You see it in Saul, King Saul. You see it in David, 
The Spirit of God comes upon. You see it in the prophets like Zechariah and the others. That the Spirit of God empowers them to do what he's called them to do. You see it in that pivotal person in the Bible, John the Baptist. That the Spirit of God was upon and empowered him to do what he'd called him to do. You see it in Jesus, even though I know Jesus is in a different category. But the Spirit of God, however we can figure that out in our Trinitarian theology, empowers, the Spirit empowers Jesus to do what God sent him to do. You see it in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God empowers the people, the Christians of that first century, to do what God had called them to do. And just as I thought through the book of Acts, I thought the same thing that God did in their lives in the first century, the Spirit does in our life to empower us. Because I really, I just want you to get this. I don't want you to make this some weird experience that the, oh, the Holy Spirit has to empower me as a parent or as a spouse or a school teacher or uh, a life group teacher in church or whatever you do in church. But it's It's right. If God's called you to do it, he not only provides the Spirit, you must do it in his Spirit. Otherwise, it's just you doing it. And so in the book of Acts, we see that the Spirit of God, he, he guides the Christians. He speaks through the Christians. The Spirit encourages them. The Spirit sends them out. And the Spirit teaches them truth. And so much more. My challenge to you today is do whatever God has called you to do through His power. Don't settle. Well, first thing, get with God. What are you calling me to do in my family, in my job, in my church? And then God, what does it look like for me to be empowered by your spirit to do that? God, don't let me do it in my own strength. Do whatever it is that God has called you to do through his power. Amen? Amen. I want to pray to close. Um, and then our, our music team is going to come Father today I pray that the God of yesterday today and forever would speak to our hearts to speak to us about our purpose as you spoke to the people in Zachariah's day um Father, I pray that not only would you call us, but Father, you would empower us through your spirit. And Father, we wouldn't settle for doing your task in our own strength, but we would do it through your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you'd use us for your glory. And that, Father, even though the world might despise whatever it is that you've called us to do, that, Father, it would bring you glory 
through our obedience. And Father, we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.